You are about to embark on a journey. A journey where your worst fears become reality. A journey where hell is not below us, but amongst us. Don't be afraid, relax, and take a seat while I open the box of horrors. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Box of Horrors. My name is Israel Johnson, and I am your host. Well, it's been quite the week. It has been quite the week. Um, Last time I spoke to you guys, I was talking about picking up a car, and I picked it up. It's a great car. It's really fun. Um, It's a Challenger. It's actually a 2009 Challenger, but it has 8,000 miles on it, so I don't know who the hell owned that thing or what they were doing to it. All I know is that it's one hell of a car and it's really fun. So I'm going to try not to get any speeding tickets. Probably will with my luck, but hey, you only live once. So let's see. Today we're going to be reading about, we're going to be reading another story by Brian Evanson. Um, It's one of his short story collections, Song for the Unraveling of the World. So um, it's one of my favorite short story collections. I really enjoyed reading it, and I'm glad to be sharing it with you guys. The story we're going to be reading today is called Smear. It's about an astronaut. Yes, another astronaut story. This time I didn't write it. Anyway, it's about an astronaut who is flying through space, but he's unconscious, but he ends up waking up and he's not supposed to be awake. So there's somebody else behind this whole reason that he's flying through space. So I don't remember reading the story, but I guess we'll all be surprised by how this story goes. Maybe I'll remember as I'm reading, but I don't think I will because I really don't remember reading this story. I read so many of them. Um, hmm. All right. Well, shit. Let's, let's jump right in. See you guys at the end. Asko could see a smear, something just inside the vessel's skin. He blinked, rubbed his eyes. It was still there. Query, he asked. What am I seeing? The voice responded, I cannot know what you are seeing. I can only know what you are looking at. All right, he said. What am I looking at? The voice did not respond. Why did the voice not respond? Surely it knew what he meant. And then he remembered query he said what am I looking at the voice responded immediately bulkhead no he said there's something there something more the voice in his head responded interior of your faceplate no he said not that either he called on the vessel to remove his helmet which it did by extruding a chrome claw from a bulkhead and plucking it deftly off of his head. Why did it do that? He wondered. It could have done it just as easily by deploying a focused magnetic field. 
Was the vessel trying to unsettle him? He looked again. The smear was still there, just in front of the bulkhead, a few inches away from it. Over his head, perhaps a meter long, a half meter wide, he reached up and tried to touch it, but strapped down as he was, couldn't reach. Query, he repeated. What am I looking at? Bulkhead, the voice insisted. No, he said, between myself and the bulkhead. For a long time, the voice said nothing. Had he gotten the form wrong? He didn't need to say query again, did he? But then finally, hesitantly, the voice spoke. Are you looking at the object properly? Is your gaze centered upon it? If your gaze is not centered upon it, you are no longer looking at it. You are merely remembering it. He instructed the vessel to reposition his chair until the smear was centered in his vision. He focused his eyes on it. He held his gaze steadily unblinking. Query, he repeated. What am I looking at? Bulkhead, the voice said. No, he replied, irritated. In front of the bulkhead, there is nothing between your eyes and the bulkhead. But it was there. He could see it. A smear. Semi-transparent, but certainly present. He was sure he could see it. What was he seeing? I can tell you what you are looking at, the voice said. Unbidden, but not what you are seeing. Which made him wonder if the voice had burrowed deeper into his head than he had realized and could hear what he was thinking. Apart from the vessel, apart from the voice, he had been alone for a very long time. He had been strapped into the vessel, and then the vessel had been accelerated to a tremendous rate, albeit very gradually, over the course of days, so as not to kill him. The chair had been made so that he would never have to leave it until he left the vessel for good. The chair was now so integrated with his body that it was hard for him to remember where body stopped and chair began. When he awoke, he felt as if he didn't have a body. It was a tremendous effort to move a digit, let alone a limb. When he awoke, the vessel displayed on the inside of his faceplate a countdown of the months, days, minutes, and seconds before deceleration would begin. Off, he whispered, and the vessel reduced the countdown to a red pixel. Why was he awake? Was he meant to be awake? He was still groggy, still woozy. Maybe he wasn't awake at all, but only dreaming. He wasn't meant to be awake in the vessel, ever. Why am I awake? He whispered, and immediately there were words in front of his eyes, as if the faceplate had been written on it. It was the vessel responding. Unexpected failure in storage system, the words read. What failure? He asked. Storage system component 39AOXV. Excuse me? He said. Upon which the vessel displayed a series of schematics that made no sense to him at all. So he would remain unstored for the rest of the trip. Would he die? The vessel indicated he would not die. It would feed him intravenously through the chair 
converting the molecules of extraneous portions of itself into nourishment. Would he waste away sitting in the chair? Vessel indicated no. It would continue the stimulation of muscles and nerves that it had been conducting while he was in storage, which meant that his body was constantly twitching, his muscles bunching and releasing, though he was not the one doing it. It was being done to him. He asked the vessel for a distraction. It opened a feed to his faceplate and showed him space around itself. Mostly black, a few specks of light. He asked if it had music or some sort of teleplay. As it turned out, no, it didn't. He was never meant to be awake. Nobody was ever meant to be awake on the vessel. The vessel could show him space. The vessel could show him schematics. Perhaps, if he told it stories, he hoped, it could learn to tell them back. Indeed, it did tell them back, verbatim, each time. When he instructed it to construct its own stories, it offered a mishmash of what he'd already told it, repurposed in a way that made little sense. And so instead, he regarded schematics, examined a representation of space on the inside of his faceplate, traced the curve of the bulkhead with his eyes. He slept, woke, slept, he never ate, but fed intravenously, was never hungry, at least not at first. He watched his body grow, lean, hardly an ounce of fat left, his suit draped loosely on him. Are you sure I'm being fed enough to survive, he asked. Technically speaking, the vessel responded, you're being fed enough to survive. The voice manifested after several weeks of being awake alone. At first, he sensed it more than he heard it, had a strange inkling that something was there, speaking to him, or rather, trying to speak to him. Was it in the vessel? At first he thought yes, it was the vessel, but they didn't talk quite alike. And when he asked the vessel about the voice, it seemed baffled. For some time, days, even weeks, he simply listened. He taught himself to filter out the noise of the vessel around him and just wait, listen. It was as if the voice was there, slightly beyond a frequency he could hear making his eardrums throb, slightly, but not in a way that conveyed sense. He spoke to it, tried to coax it, to speak back until suddenly to his surprise it did. It had rules, formulae that must be followed, patterns of speech it seemed prone to respond to. He stumbled onto them only slowly and gradually. It would not always tell him what he wanted to know, there was still much he didn't know. Vessel, he whispered, please replace my helmet. The same chrome claw on a long pale arm plucked the helmet from the floor with surprising delicacy and pushed it back onto his head. When it was affixed, he looked again for the smear through the faceplate. It was still there, still visible. It didn't matter what the voice claimed. He asked the vessel about the smear. There is nothing there, the voice said again. 
Despite his not following discourse protocol, I already told you. I wasn't speaking to you, Haskell said. I was speaking to the vessel. But the vessel did not respond. The faceplate in front of his eyes remained blank. Have you disabled my interface? He asked. There was no response, either from vessel or from voice. Query. Have you disabled my interface? He asked. Query. The voice responded. What is an interface? Interface. Interface. What an odd word, he told himself. Intraface would mean inside the face, within the face, which made sense. But interface would mean between the face. What could that possibly mean, between the face? Query, he began. The voice immediately cut him off. Don't ask, it said. It had a tone now. Did it have a tone? Had it had that mocking tone before? What was the voice? What did it have to do with him? Why was he willing to listen to it? Why hadn't he panicked? But no matter how he tried to work himself up, he couldn't bring himself to panic. Maybe the voice was doing that to him, too. His arms was a little more than a stick wrapped in skin. Looking at it, it didn't look like an arm that could possibly belong to him. In fact, the more he looked at it, the less it looked like an arm at all. But when had he taken his suit off? Why was he looking at a bare arm at all? And why, if he wasn't wearing his suit, was he wearing his helmet? Or wait, was he wearing his helmet? His gaze slowly slid to the smear and then wandered away. If he looked at it out of the corner of his eye, it almost made sense, almost looked familiar. He tried to look at it and not look at it at the same time, but like the voice had been at first, it felt as if he could almost sense something but not quite, as if whatever it was had impinged on this world by accident was only being seen because of an anomaly. What if that anomaly is me? He wondered, or was that the voice wondering it? Perhaps if he got closer, perhaps if he regarded it from one side at an oblique angle. Vessel, he whispered, move the chair forward. But the chair didn't move. The vessel was paying him no heed. Perhaps, as with the smear, it no longer realized he was there. He kept looking kept staring. Part of him felt the smear was staring back, watching him. Was it staring back? No, it was only a smear. A smear couldn't stare. If he could only get closer, move a little nearer, then he'd see it clearly. He was sure, almost sure. Time went by, years, maybe or what felt like years. When he regarded his arm again, it still didn't look like an arm. When he lifted the claw on the end of it and touched the release and kept pushing until the belts restraining him actually parted, it looked even less like an arm. It took tremendous effort to free himself from the chair and more effort still to crawl across the deck, still more to turn around and look upward to regard the smear. Was it still there? 
Yes, it was still there, only differently distended from this angle. It was almost a face. It was almost a human face. He crawled a little closer, looking up again, still smeared, still distorted, through anamorphically transformed. Yes, a face. Maybe. He crawled until his head was touching the surface of the bulkhead, and then looked up again. Yes, a face. A face very much like his own. His own face, in fact. He stared into it, filled with wonder. After a moment, the face smiled, tightly, in a way that bared its teeth, or would have bared them if what was inside the mouth were teeth. They scanned the small craft, nothing harmful detected, no extraordinary presences, nothing to give pause. Out of caution, they kept the craft quarantined, alone at its dock for several weeks before finally sending a team in. The man was out of his chair, eyes wide open, staring at the upper portion of the vessel's bulkhead. He had been torn free of the chair and his legs were tangled with the snarl of tubes and wires, many of which were still attached to his body. A discolored spill of dried fluid spread in a trail behind him. His neck was bent impossibly upward, his body desiccated and bloodless. Where's his suit? asked one of the technicians. The other shrugged. I don't know, he said. What's with his arm? Arm, said the other. Is that what that is? It was contorted and little more than bone. He reached out and pushed down on the arm with his foot. The body yawned to one side, hollow or nearly so. When he drew his boot back, the body rocked back and forth, slowly settling onto the floor. He grunted. What do we do with him? Incinerate him, said the other. And the craft? There was a long moment before the other responded. No reason to destroy that, he finally said. We can salvage it. But he wasn't looking at the other technician as he said it. Instead, he seemed to be looking at a spot high up the bulkhead, near the curve, where wall became ceiling. He took a step forward and reached his hand out through the air as if to touch something. Then he drew back and stared at his gloved hand. What is it? asked the other. Nothing, he said, confused. I thought I saw something. My faceplate must be dirty. The other nodded. He started for the airlock. When he realized the first wasn't following, he stopped, looked back. Coming, he asked. Just a moment, said the other. He had pulled one arm from its sleeve and back into his suit, and now had it pressed between the suit and his chest. He worked the fingers up past where the suit joined the helmet, trying to rub at the faceplate from the inside. Come on, the other insisted. You go ahead, the first managed to say. I'll follow you out in a moment. All alone, he stood there, hand caught between his throat and the rim of the helmet, waiting. He had seen something, he was sure, or almost a swath, 
a fluttering, something almost visible. What was it, he wondered, or not quite that, query, what was it, he wondered, yes, that was what he thought had been, what a strange way to think. He wriggled his fingers, swallowed, he waited, listened. Alright, I don't know if any of you can tell, but I'm sick once again. It's like the fifth time in two months. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's in the air, but I don't like it. What I did like was this story. I don't remember reading this story still as I was reading through it. I couldn't remember for the life of me what this story was going to be about or how it was going to end. But I thought it was really cool. I love how Brian Evanson can make a smear something frightening, you know. It takes It takes a special kind of talent to make something not frightening at all and to turn it into something that you think about something that you can write about <sighs> with that being said i hope you guys enjoyed that story as much as i did reading it and i will see you guys next time on another episode of box of horrors see you next week mm-hmm.